Welcome to Episode 6 of the Jedi Temple Archives Podcast. There is more knowledge here than anywhere else in the galaxy. Only members of the Jedi Council are allowed access. Guarding the holocrons is one of the most important duties a Jedi can be given. Do you think you're up to the task? Episode 6 of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. Uh, we're recording this episode on Monday, April 15th, 2019, and uh, we're going to be kind of covering uh, the events that took place over this past weekend with Star Wars Celebration Chicago 2019. Uh, I have Tom Howell with me again this week uh, as he was watching the festivities as well, and we're going to kind of weigh in on the things that, that were our big takeaways from the various panels. And we're also going to be talking a little bit about the uh, new Disney Plus streaming service and the information that came out uh, about that this week. And then we're going to wrap it up with a review of the uh, new Episode Nine Rise of the Skywalker trailer that came out of Star Wars Celebration. And we're going to kind of walk through that scene by scene and bring up any items that we may have noticed that were going to be important out of that trailer. So, uh, Tom, welcome again. Glad you could make it back and uh, looking forward to hearing your thoughts on Celebration. Thanks, Rob. It's good to be back with you once again. And yes, uh, watching the uh, stream from Star Wars Celebration, no more like glued to it as much as possible because there was so much good stuff going on uh, throughout that time. Just so many great Star Wars fans and so much great Star Wars input that we heard and saw come out of Chicago this weekend. Yeah, it was really spectacular. And on on top of having a brand new movie that's going to wrap up the Skywalker saga, uh, the great animated shows that they've got. Uh, I know they had uh, Resistance panel talking about the doings in Season 1, as well as the Clone Wars uh, Season 7, which is going to be coming out on the new Disney Plus streaming service later this year. The Mandalorian, um, just so many great new shows coming out. And I can only imagine that if they're successful with what they've got in store uh, for the next year or so, that it's probably just going to get expanded as time goes on. Yeah, plus they, you know, they confirmed that uh, K2SO, Alan Tudyk, will be reprising his role as K2SO in the upcoming Cassian Andor series that we're looking forward to when that hits uh, Disney Plus as well. So lots of good stuff coming, not some more Star Wars coming, and it's, it's a good time to be a Star Wars fan for sure. It is definitely a wonderful time to be a Star Wars fan. So. With that, we're going to go ahead and dive right in, and I think the first thing we'll start with is we'll just kind of walk through it in chronological order, and while there weren't a lot of major panels coming out of Celebration on Thursday, April 11th, uh, that was kind of a day that was more reserved for photo ops and autograph signings and you know people browsing the convention floor, uh, but there was some pretty major news that came out at the Walt Disney Company's Investor Day that they held uh, specifically related to their upcoming streaming service, uh, Disney+. Plus. And so uh, I know Tom and I had both watched that particular live stream, uh, kind of, you know, watching with uh, our eyes glued to the screen, waiting to find mm-hmm. out when that was 
going to be released and kind of get a chance to see some of the user interface for that new streaming service, as well as to find out how much that was going to cost. Uh, rumors had always been that it was going to be cheaper than Netflix, um, which apparently Netflix's response was to raise their prices. So yeah, <laughs> I think that uh, clearly it was going to be easy to stand under that number. But, um, you know, people were really waiting for some solid information about the streaming service. And that is definitely something that we got in spades on Thursday. Uh, Tom, what was the, the biggest takeaway from that particular panel for you? Well, I used to already stated it. The price is crazy. And it didn't, it, I said this on our podcast. It wouldn't surprise me if Disney heard that Netflix was up in their price and they were going to have it set at one lane, like $8.99, You say, okay, so Netflix, you're going to raise your price. We're going to drop this thing down to six ninety nine dollars uh, because uh, it's it's a crazy good price for all the content you're going to get out of this. And if you pay for the, the entire year at $69.99, it drops the price down to like $5.83 uh, per month. It's, it's just, that's crazy good. Yeah, I I was pretty shocked at the number. Uh, I figured it was going to be under ten dollars for sure, but I did not expect it to be down in the seven, you know, six seven dollar range or even lower if you pay for the full year uh, with the Disney library that comes along with that streaming service. Essentially, every. Uh, Disney movie that uh, they ever made, as well as you know, all the Marvel content that's come out, all the Star Wars content that's come out, uh, the National Geographic content that they own. Uh, it's just going to be it's going to be an incredible amount of entertainment for a very low price. Um, and they also had announced during that particular investor day that uh, the go live date for that was going to be, I believe, uh, November 12th of 2019. That's, that's right. Yeah. 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 So we do have a little bit of a wait. Um Unfortunately, you know, as I was mentioning in one of our earlier podcasts, I, I had noted that The Clone Wars uh, was going to be falling off of Netflix on April 7th. It looks like that actually did happen. Uh, so if you're looking to watch The Clone Wars, uh, unless you happen to own a DVD copy of that, uh, you may be waiting a little while um, or you've paid for it on one of the other services that had carried it. But um you know, certainly that's going to be something that's going to be offered on that Disney Plus streaming service when it comes out. And uh, I know I'm going to be waiting to, to have access to all that. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, so much good stuff. Uh, one thing that actually has surprised me a little bit, not really, but uh, because when they first announced uh, Disney Plus streaming and we were hearing that there were going to be Star Wars and Marvel, of course, as part of it. But one of the things that uh, was kind of a sticking point was that before they decided they even thought of doing a streaming service, the original Star Wars films, uh, the ones that weren't Disney run, Disney owned, uh, they had given the rights to Turner Broadcasting to be able to broadcast them on TBS or TNT or so forth. Uh, and so it looked like it, there was a point where it looked like uh, Disney might not have those films on their service when it first launched until, I, I can't remember exactly the date, but until that contract ended up. So, uh, but, and there must've been some negotiations behind the scene, which doesn't surprise me. And I'm sure there was some money doled out somewhere because uh, that was a little bit of a surprise to me to just for them just flat out say, yep, we got out, we got them all because I had heard differently to begin with. Yeah, that was definitely a big plus when they were talking about the, the Star Wars content within the uh, Disney Plus streaming service. I was surprised by that as well. Yeah, but it was great news. I'm so glad that we're going to have all those movies there. And uh, I don't know if, what the deal was unless it's slipped by us somehow. And we're always scouring for Disney and Star Wars news. So it would surprise me that we didn't hear about it. But I don't know if Turner still retains rights to them to still broadcast them on uh, regular uh, cable or over the air. Uh, what? But uh, still... 
it's an interesting development, and I'm just happy that we will have the ability to watch those films whenever we want as soon as we get to November 12th. Absolutely. I I kind of give us a little bit of leeway with all the news that's been coming out about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and all the anticipation to actually finally get a title for uh, Star Wars Episode Nine and a trailer for that. Um, it's it's been hard to find some of the some of the happenings that have been a little bit more quietly released. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it's going to be it's going to be a lot of entertainment, whether you're just a Star Wars fan or especially if you're into any of the Disney movies or Marvel, which is uh, certainly uh, they've turned out some amazing movies over the course of the past 10 or 12 years. So uh, I don't think anyone who who signs on for that service is going to be short of entertainment. Another great note that they pointed out is the fact that uh, the stuff that's on there will be downloadable. So if you're with your children or with your family traveling on a plane, in a car, whatever the case may be, you don't have Wi-Fi, you don't have internet, you don't want to use your data, you can set up for a trip or whatever you want by downloading some of your uh, favorite things for either yourself or your children as you go. That's a, that's a really good selling point as well. Yeah, that is great to know. I had missed that announcement, so I appreciate you pointing that out. Yeah, I believe I, I believe I heard that right. So if I, if I if I got that wrong, please let me know because that's what I heard somewhere, read somewhere. So yeah, no, I mean I I have no reason to doubt it, and I think uh, you know given the way that that type of media works in this in this age, you know the the fact that if you go on an airplane, uh, you're unlikely to have internet, and they typically don't allow for streaming of things like movies. So it would make total sense that you'd be able to download that content uh, as part of that package. Yeah, uh, and I think it's like I said, it's a brilliant idea for Disney to do that, not just make it be where you're stuck to uh, some sort of Wi-Fi signal or using up your data all the time that you have that ability, especially for children. Because let's face it, it's Disney. There are going to be a lot of kids shows and kids movies that are going to be wanting to be watched through this service to have that ability for when you're traveling. Because you all know we have you have kids. You need to keep them entertained sometimes when you're on these long trips. So you really want to have that ability to have these films at, at an access for them. I think you're being too modest. It's not sometimes, it's all the time. All the time, yes, that's correct. (laughs) So, uh, you know, the Disney Plus streaming service and the Star Wars content, that actually dovetails really nicely into the stuff we're going to talk about in regards to Star Wars Celebration. Uh, I know that I put some updates out kind of over the course of the past couple days, but I really wanted to spend some time to go back through, uh, hit on the individual panels that that were really the highlights of Celebration this weekend, and kind of get a couple of different perspectives on on what we saw and what our thoughts were. So uh, first and foremost, Friday uh, was the first major day where they were hosting some of the larger panels and they kicked it off right at uh, noon Eastern, 11 o'clock Central uh, with the Star Wars Episode 9 panel over on the Celebration stage. And uh, that was hosted by Stephen Colbert. And um, it was, you know, they brought out Kathleen Kennedy and J.J. Abrams. They had some nice discussions. Then they rolled out Anthony Daniels. Uh, He was very entertaining, I thought. Um, he always is. Yeah, he's a, yeah. always an entertaining guy, for sure. He's a, he's a bit of a ham. He's a bit of a ham, definitely a character. Uh, but, uh, you know, we rolled right from him into uh, having Lando Calrissian himself walk out onto stage, Billy D. Williams. Uh, I believe he's 82 years old, and he still carries that Lando swagger uh, and was as cool as could be. I mean, when he started talking, you felt like you had Lando sitting right there in front of you. Yeah, I love that Stephen Colbert asked him, like, you know, how did you get back into that role of Lando, revisit that character? How did you do that? He's like, Lando never left me, baby. Right, <laughs> you right. know, it was perfect. It was so perfect. That, I 
it's, I'd say that was one of the two highlights of, uh, of his conversation. Although I was also highly amused at the fact that he, you know, sat up there on stage and he's like, I got people always coming up to me. How could you betray Han Solo? (laughs) And he did catch himself. He almost said Han, uh, but you know, how, how could you betray Han Solo? And he said, you know, it's almost, it's almost, you know, first person it's, it's like, I'm the one that did it, not Lando. But, uh, you know, he, he made some great points about the fact that, you know, he was he was faced up against Darth Vader and he mm-hmm. was trying to trying to do the best he could for the citizens of his establishment. And, uh, you know, he, he ended it with the point of saying, you know, no one died. Right. Right. You know, that was perfect. That's hilarious. Know, in, his, in his mind, it was a complete success. And he was just <laughs> looking out for his friends and the people in his care, uh, making sure they had time to get their ice cream makers out of clouds. Yeah, that's right. Again, a complete success from a certain point of view. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, and for anyone who didn't catch that ice cream maker uh, joke, if you do watch carefully mm-hmm. in the scene where they're evacuating Cloud City, you see a guy come running out with an ice cream maker tucked under his arm. Apparently it looked... Uh, it looked, you know, futuristic enough at the time that they figured they could pass it off as a piece of tech. So it's one of my actually my favorite fan events that happens at Star Wars Celebration. Each time they come, is they is they have the parade of people walking out with the ice cream makers. Uh, it's it's just one of those things they do. They even had and someone dressed up as an ice cream maker carrying off the the character in his their arm. It was hilarious. This I was year. just going to bring that yeah. up. That was one of my favorite pictures out of Celebration this year. So, um, and you know, I should mention before we get too much further into this that if you you weren't able to go to Star Wars Celebration if you're interested in seeing anything about the events that take place or any of the panels that we talk about uh, they do have all this streamed information uh, saved on their YouTube account youtube.com and then Star Wars uh, if you go out there the live streams from each of the days as well as some of the individual panels and a lot of the interviews that content is all out there if you want to go out and soak up any of that information yeah the Star Wars show is the easiest access to search for it because that's usually what was hosting it that was what it was doing the live stream always but yeah if you go to Star Wars YouTube channel and just Type in whatever panel you want or whatever footage you want to see. It'll, it'll pop right up for you for sure. Yep. Uh, and so once they got done with Billy D. Williams, they brought the, you know, the main portion of the cast out on stage. Uh, they had Daisy Ridley, uh, who plays Ray. They had John Boyega, who plays Finn. Oscar Isaacs, that plays Poe. Uh, Kelly Marie Tran, that plays Rose Tico. Uh, they had Jonas, and I'm, I'm blanking on his last name. It's like Samaron or something like that. Yeah, I, I'm, yeah. I'm totally mispronouncing it. I know I am. Yes. So... <laughs> Uh, who plays Chewbacca and has taken over that role from Peter Mayhew. He's, he's incredibly respectful of Peter, Peter Mayhew and, and gives him a lot of credit for helping him uh, really become Chewbacca. Uh, and then they had uh, Naomi Aki, who is a new character that they're going to be featuring uh, in Episode Nine, who we know very little about, uh, but the speculation is that she may actually be perhaps Lando's daughter. Yeah, he's almost it didn't quite confirm it within this uh, panel, but they very nearly did with the, her answer to it that uh, you know Lando probably has children everywhere. You know? <laughs> yeah, I always feel like uh, I always feel like these events uh, they're under very strict non-disclosure. There's very little they can say. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, everyone's always very concerned that they're going to say too much. Uh, you typically got either the director out on, on stage with you or someone from Lucasfilm. Um, and in this case it was Kathleen Kennedy. So people were being very cautious about what they said, yeah. but, uh, it was clear from watching her that she could not have been happier 
to be part of the Star Wars cast of, of this film. Oh, yeah, there was no question about that. Yeah, I always love these panels when they, there's, there's the nervous looks as they're answering questions toward Kathleen Kennedy or J.J. or Dave Filoni or whoever is the, the producer of these uh, films or animated series or whatever they may be. But every time they answer, they're like, oh, am I pushing it too far? Can I say this? I'm not sure, but I'm not going to get in trouble. <laughs> It's always interesting to see how much information you can get right. given, you know, given the 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 close eye that they're they're under. Exactly. So, um, but, you know, they, they had a very good conversation with a lot of the cast members. They were all very entertaining and, and very upbeat. And eventually they got to the point where they introduced a new droid that's going to be part of Episode 9 named Dio, who is, uh, I keep referring to him as essentially a hairdryer on a wheel. <laughs> it's a, that's pretty good. accurate. That was pretty yeah. good, yeah. <laughs> he apparently was, uh, his inspiration was a duck and they, they showed a number of sketches that they had done kind of the evolution of, of him going from this, this little rubber duck that was the inspiration to the droid that eventually came to life. And the cool thing about this particular panel is they mentioned that, you know, they actually had the droid roll out on stage and it was the first time that anyone had ever actually put together a working version of this. Uh, apparently during filming it was completely done via uh you know rigs and some generated graphics yeah, you know, it was all done via a, computers a lot of puppetry and yeah. and uh yeah stuff like that like this similar to what they did with bb8 to begin with in the force awakens and still and still exactly. do for that matter yeah so it was just cool to see it roll out on stage everyone was completely shocked that it was out there on its own it was no you know there was no strings attached per se and um, and you know, they made the comment that it was incredible to see what Star Wars Celebration would drive the engineers yeah, to. Yeah, always pushes the limits every time they're going to bring something out there. And of yeah, and of course, from there, everyone was completely charmed, and uh, they then rolled it into the trailer for Star Wars Episode Nine, and showed that to both the streaming audience as well as the folks in the auditorium. And the really cool thing about that was, you know, they brought down the house lights when they were showing the trailer, and everyone was cheering. Crowd was going wild, and as the lights slowly come back up, you notice there's someone on stage, and of course, it's it's Ian McDermott. So uh, one of the last things you hear in the trailer is Palpatine evil laugh um so to reveal him on stage just kind of took the excitement to the next level and uh he then proceeded to say this roll it again my favorite part after that bit is that he literally drops the mic after he's done <laughs> he, does yeah. that he drops the mic and you cut away and just the whole crowd's going nuts it's so great it was kind of a weird dichotomy too because you've got this man who plays the evil evil emperor palpatine and uh you know it's just this malevolent presence and he even couldn't uh, keep a straight face up until he 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 stated that line. Uh, he kept cracking smiles and was getting a lot of love from the crowd. Well, I don't know if you heard this today during the uh, 20th uh, anniversary of Phantom Menace. They were interviewing him and he had Ray Park with him, who of course played Darth Maul as well. But he would always talk about how fans come up to him and say, oh, I love you. I love you as Palpatine. You're great. And he's always like, no, you're not supposed to love this guy. He's <laughs> evil. You're not supposed to love him. It's pretty funny. There's always the people that are drawn to the dark. Right. 
All right. So, you know, that that pretty much wrapped up the episode nine panel. Uh, we got our trailer. We got our our title for the film. Um, we'll kind of get into the details of the trailer and, and some conjecture about that title a little bit later in the show. Um, but we'll go ahead and move on to some of the other panels that took place on Friday. Uh, first and foremost, they did a panel for a new VR experience that's going to be coming out called Vader Immortal. And this is going to be coming out on uh, Oculus Rift which will be coming out later this year. And it really is about an immersive descent uh, into Darth Vader's fiery castle on Mustafar. Uh, it appears that you're going to be recruited by Darth Vader. It's going to have a lot of lightsaber play uh, involved in it. And uh, for any of you that have had a chance to experience the void over at Disney Springs or downtown Disney, uh, you know, it's not going to be exactly that type of thing, uh, but it's definitely going to be a very much a VR Star Wars story that you get to take part in. Uh, Tom, I, I think you have some issues with VR just in terms of how it makes you feel. Well, I just not, I mean, I, I get it in something like the void where you're kind of within a contained situation. And I guess you are with that in your home as well, but it just still feels, having not experienced it really, it feels, seems like it would feel a little disconcerting to be completely in your home, cut off from everything else. And you're just in this world. And that, while that's cool at the same time, I think it'd be a little bit disconcerting, but watching the footage of this uh, game uh, really did make me want to possibly consider it for the first time ever, because it looks amazing. Yeah, what I and, and I've actually had the opportunity to do the uh, Secrets of the Empire VR experience at the Void, and what I will say is, and and I would assume that they're going to do something similar um, with Vader Immortal if they were to bring it to that type of environment. But uh, they do a really good job of matching up what you're seeing in the VR experience with the environment that you're in. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, if there's a wall in front of you and you reach out, there's a wall there. If, if you're looking at a control panel, that's going to operate a door, it's right there under your hand, which I found actually helped kind of keep me from having any, uh, kind of spatial distortion issues. Um, and, and really kind of help center me in the experience, but you know, obviously it does, you know, it does different things for different people. So keep that in mind. If, if you're a person who potentially would have issues with the VR experience, uh, but from what I've seen and what they've turned out so far, these, these VR experiences, these Star Wars VR experiences specifically, uh, are incredibly realistic. Um, if you're on Mustafar, you're probably going to feel some heat. Uh, and <laughs> I can only imagine what the lightsaber play is going to be like. Yeah, it looks outstanding within the, the trailer that we saw. Of it looked amazing. It looked like you're uh, literally holding a lightsaber and battling. Uh, it looks like there were some drills against some sort of training droids, as well as some battles. Uh, just it, it looked amazing. And that's part of the reason why I, well, maybe I would be willing to try a VR because I just <laughs> feel like this is uh, fantastic. And by the way, also, I don't know if you noticed this, but this is episode one of this. This is going to be a series of these. So this is just the first part of this story. Yeah. And uh, obviously, just like with the shows that they're putting together, I mean, the Star Wars universe is such an immense, uh, you know, palette to work with, and uh, there's really endless stories that they can tell, and, and I think that it's going to be very interesting to see what direction they go with this, and I think there's a lot of fun in the future for Star Wars fans. I also like that they got Maya Rudolph, of all people, to play a droid within it. Uh, it was kind of interesting to me. I'm like, Maya Rudolph in the Star Wars universe, how interesting. 
Yes, yes, yes. Um, speaking of droids, actually, the other panel that they had on Friday uh, was a Creatures, Droids, and Aliens of Star Wars panel. I personally did not get to catch that. I don't know, Tom, if you saw any of that. Caught a little bit of it. Uh, it was a little dry for us, um, but, but the, some of the some of the uh, creatures they showed the create and some of the animatronics that they put into them, the stuff they can do nowadays, it's, it's amazing to watch and just watch these things perform. Uh, you know, I did enjoy a little bit of it, but the, the panel just got a little dry for me so we kind of ended up uh, phasing out after a while yeah yeah. (laughs) i completely understand that i mean it's it's fun to see it as a consumer kind of once it's all been completed but sometimes the process can get um, a little bit overly detailed unless you're you know technical or, or really into that type of thing but i do agree i mean it's it's really incredible if you look at the history of star wars and the things that they put out uh, out there is, you know, theoretical things that you would find in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, and and then these things actually are created. You look at BB-8, I mean, a lot of people would, would look at him and go, there's no way you could have the head float on the body like that mm-hmm. as he rolls around. And now, you know, they've got work in BB-8s that are rolling around the celebration stage at, at Star Wars Celebration. we got a mini version of it, the Sphero version that we have uh, in our home that we roll around every once in a while and actually we'll sit and watch Star Wars movies with because that's one of the things you could do with it. I don't I believe they're discontinuing it now, but uh, the great thing about it is that you can just line him up in there and watch a Star Wars film and he'll react along with it. It's so fun. It's actually great to have BB-8 in the room with you. Kind of makes you wonder what he knows that you don't. Right, exactly. All right. So that was, I mean, that was really it for Friday uh, and the Star Wars Celebration kind of major items from that day. They did have a lot of interaction with, you know, the cast of Episode Nine out on uh, kind of the showroom floor. They did a lot of interviews. Um, so again, if you're interested in that kind of content, definitely go check it out. It's It's too much really to cover within the scope of a podcast. Uh, but they then turned around on Saturday, uh, which was a huge day, you know, first full day of the weekend for them. And uh, they led that off with bringing Star Wars Galaxy's Edge to life at the Disney parks. And that is clearly a topic that's near and dear to us. We've talked quite a bit about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, and it was really cool uh, to see them get the creative minds that are behind everything that they're doing at Galaxy's Edge out on the stage um, and have them start sharing some of that content with the fans so that we could really start to see what is going to be unveiled when they open these uh, lands within both Disneyland and Walt Disney. New World Park. Tom, what what was it that really jumped out at you on that panel? Uh, you know, it was interesting with that panel that a lot of it was kind of information. I mean, I guess we're different than most people that we are as as Star Wars fans and Disney fans and regular park attendees. Uh, we kind of follow this more closely than maybe the average person out there. So maybe a lot of this was was new to them. But there's a lot of stuff since we eat this stuff up every day that wasn't groundbreaking to us. The one thing that I took out of it that I hadn't heard before. I mean, I've heard that I, I know it was going to be very immersive. Uh, and I know that when you were like going to say, uh, do William Falcon smugglers run that, uh, how you did within the attraction, uh, was going to affect your experience outside of it. How, uh, some of the cast members interacted with you, some of the characters when they're interacted with you. One thing I didn't know until this is that it'll affect you right as you walk out of the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon. Apparently they have some sort of 
new tech that they're going to do where you when you walk out in the corridor, if you do a perfect, near-perfect mission and the ship is intact and great, then it's going to be like this pristine corridor where if you're like bouncing around and getting shot up and wrecking the thing, that it's going to come out and there'll be sparks flying and everything and the corridor is going to be all a mess. I don't know how they're going to do that, but it sounds amazing. It's just one more thing that really excites me about it. Yeah, that was the thing that I was curious about, too, because I obviously had heard that when I watched the panel. I I have a hard time conceptualizing how they're going to do that pristine corridor versus the one that's sparking. Um, I do know that the simulators are kind of on a turntable, so maybe it just has to do with where it stops and lets you out. Mm-hmm. There may be multiple, multiple exits, but uh, it's going to be very interesting just to find out how they did some of these things behind the scenes. Um, but I agree. I mean, most of the information as someone who follows Star Wars Galaxy's Edge news pretty closely um, was really a rehash of things that I'd seen previously. Um, the other item, uh, there were really a couple things that jumped out at me that were new. First, they rolled out um, that Coca-Cola is going to be unveiling some new products that are going to be available within Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. And I don't mean new products in terms of a different beverage, but the types of beverages that they do carry at Walt Disney World, it's typically your Coke and your Diet Coke and your Sprite uh, and then Dasani bottled water. They have special packaging for those drinks within Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and the the name of the drink is written in Orabesh on each uh, of those of those bottles so it's going to definitely kind of make them fit into the world a little bit more yeah I, I actually was very impressed with them obviously it's a marketing tool more than anything else but it's good to know that you know when you go there and kids will want a soda or whatever but you can still not just get something in a regular cup or a can or a bottle that's something that's going to fit within that world again they're trying to look for such an immersive experience uh, that even just having a soda in your hand won't change the way you feel about being in this land in, in the Star Wars galaxy essentially yeah, actually, I it was funny. Right after they rolled that out, someone had uh, put out on Twitter, you know, what are they going to taste like? And I said, they're going to taste like about five bucks. Yeah, exactly right. That's pretty good. So uh, I don't know that they'll be exactly five dollars. Don't it's, quote it's just me on a that little, price. Right, right. I'm not going to say five bucks, but uh, I think anyone who's been to the Disney parks knows that uh, beverages come at a premium. Yeah. There. We'll put it that way. Um, and then the one other item that uh, that they did bring out in that panel that was new information for us was they played a couple of the songs that are going to be playing within Oga's Cantina. Uh, Obviously, we're going to have DJ Rex in there, the former uh, pilot of the Star Tours. And he has made his way to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and it's going to be spinning tunes for the the folks in that particular establishment. And they did have a couple of really cool samples, um, which I will go ahead and play here for you now. Another song from Figure and Dan and the Modal Nodes. That's the the B-side. cantina sound do we have anything else do we have maybe another sample we brought for you for me we brought something else. yes so it's not just that classic cantina sound that makes up the music of star wars galaxy's edge we've actually expanded the repertoire greatly we have got so much really 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 fun stuff that we are going to be able to unveil to you when you get there but as a quick little teaser uh, i want to play one of rex's favorites And this is from an all-droid band. And kind of like Rex, they don't always get it right the whole time. But it's one of Rex's favorites. It's one of my favorites. 
let's listen to another track that we might hear in Oga's Cantina. It's like a, it's it's very cool. It's like an all. What do you guys yeah. think? What do you think? It's amazing. Okay, it's like an all droid version of Hamilton. That's awesome. I don't. I okay, I guess they're not going to throw away their bots. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, just. I don't, oh wow. All right, we need we need to speed this one up. Uh, so yeah, there's your there's your uh, example of what you're going to be listening to as you sit in Oga's Cantina and enjoy some of those. Ja- sorry, not Jacku, uh, Batu <laughs> beverages and uh, fare. So, and uh, my understanding is that this is going to be about a three hour loop uh, that this music's going to be on. So uh, unless you're going very very regularly, it's unlikely that you're going to walk in there twice and hear the same music. Yeah, wow, that's interesting. Cool. Um, yeah. I like that. The, like the first song was like a throwback to the Most Eisley Cantina from, of course, A New Hope, Episode Four. Uh, I really loved that. It was just kind of a modern version of that, but it still harkened completely back to it. The other one was just so interesting, and I, I love the fact that the creators mentioned I'm a I'm a Hamilton fan. So the fact that they didn't say it's you know it's Hamilton by droids was just struck at home for me. So <laughs> I thought that was yeah. great. And they actually, to the to your point, that first piece was actually figuring Dan in the modal nodes. Yeah. So uh, there you, you know, go. It is it is that same band that played in the Cantina on Tatooine. Big stars, big hits. Big stars. They get around the galaxy. That's right. For sure. <laughs> uh, so they wrapped up the uh, the Galaxy's Edge panel, um, and shortly thereafter, they then rolled out the Galaxy wide premiere of Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, which is a new uh, video game that's going to be coming out. Uh, I believe that's going to be released on November 15th. Uh, 2019 and it is uh it looks to be an incredible video game the the premise is that you're going to be a jedi padawan that escaped order 66 and you need to uh escape and kind of make your way through uh what looks to be living on coruscant um without being uh doing anything that's going to bring yourself to the notice of the emperor and his inquisitors that are hunting down any remaining jedi um, and I do have a clip, uh, a little bit of that trailer here, and I'll go ahead and play that. It wasn't always like this. But now, there are three rules to survive. Don't stand out.
there you go. That'll give you a little bit of a taste as to what you're in, in store for if you are a video game player uh, and are interested in playing Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. As I mentioned, it's going to come out on November 15th, and that is going to be released for Xbox, PlayStation 4, and uh, PC all at the same time. Yeah, I was uh, I was very impressed with that trailer. I'm a, I am a video gamer, and I like Star Wars video games, uh, and I was very impressed by the look of that trailer, uh, it, the storyline. It seems like a great idea because, you know, one thing that has kind of struck with Star Wars video games as of recent when they when you're talking about Battlefront and Battlefront 2 is it's it's kind of on more of this multiplayer thing. And, you know, some people like that. Some people are all into that, as you've seen much uh, of the, uh, you know, um, the video games that are out there now all over the place. But I more personally like to just be able to sit there and follow a storyline and play a storyline to its conclusion and this one so this game speaks right to me i'm i'm excited for when this game comes out it'll definitely be on my list around that time on november 15th yeah and it's really i mean the the interesting thing about it is is that a lot of people are interested in playing a video game and taking on that role of a jedi Uh, but in this case i mean you have force powers and potentially have access to a lightsaber but you really have to be very mindful of uh, doing anything that's going to expose yourself to notice you know um, it's it's really about kind of staying below the radar and uh and not drawing attention to yourself yeah it's also a a kind of a period within the star wars universe within the timeline that hasn't been explored a lot at least not in canon uh so it'd be interesting because this i'm I'm certain that so far uh whenever since disney has taken over uh, star wars lucasfilm uh the video games that come out any storylines that are within them are considered canon so i'm sure that the storyline will probably be considered canon too so it'll be kind of interesting to get into that part of the timeline that we haven't seen a lot from recently totally agree um i'm going to be one of the people that rushes out and gets this that gets this game the second it hits the shelves mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm looking forward to playing it um the final panel that they uh, the final ma- final major panel that they had on saturday april 13th was sisters of the force and it was a celebration of women and star wars uh obviously star wars is is very well known for a lot of independent and uh, strong female characters and this was really just about showcasing those uh you know those actresses and the vo- the folks that do the voice work for them and uh from what i saw of this particular event it was just it was very positive very uplifting and it was really cool to see yeah i only saw some clips from it unfortunately it was just at a time that i wasn't around to get to watch it but it looked amazing uh a lot of the actresses that are within it i'm big fans of i'm big fans of their characters that they play and yeah it's just great to be able to get that and show out there that look star wars star wars is for everyone they've even had printing shirts of it uh this year at star wars celebration because it's a fact star wars is for everybody i mean once uh, originally you know george lucas will tell you that star wars is created for you know like 11 year old boys or whatever, but I, I find that they're, they're, we're finding far more female fans coming into within it now, and there have been fans, female fans from the beginning, and I, I just love that now they're starting to really be able to explore and get out there, and, and it, it, it's just a brand new world within Star Wars, and I'm, I, I'm very happy about it. Yeah, and actually, I, I just wanted to bring this up because it dovetails perfectly into our next topic, which, uh, which was the Mandalorian panel. Mm-hmm. Um, that they held on Sunday, April 14th. 
And one of the actresses that is going to be partaking in The Mandalorian, uh, Gina Carano, uh, you know, is is going to be joining that group and I think is going to is going to be a perfect representation of yet another strong female within the Star Wars universe. Yeah, I like that they brought up I was it, it was either Filoni or John Favreau who were both heading up there. They're both uh, two of the main people behind this project. And they were mentioning the fact that uh, that the one of the most bored people on the set was Gina Carano's stunt double because apparently yeah. Gina was doing all their stunts. John Favreau, who's, who's doing, he's doing the Lion King, the, the live action Lion King right now, alongside doing the Mandalorian, which I don't know how he finds time to do both those things. But he said he would step away to go do the, some things for the Lion King, come back, and all their all these actors are in there doing their stunts. He's like, wait a minute. No, we need you. You guys are stars. We can't have you guys get hurt. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, certainly that was a highlight of that particular panel. Um, as you mentioned, they they had a number of other cast members out on stage. Uh, Pedro Pascal, who is going to actually be playing the Mandalorian himself. Uh, Gina Carano, uh, who's playing, uh, looks like an associate of the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Carl Weathers, who, uh, you know, not someone who you've seen a ton of over the past few years, per se, but he, uh, you know, he was out on stage. He was so appreciative of the fans and so excited to be part of, of this uh, new show that's going to be coming to the Disney Plus streaming service when that goes live. Um, and for those of you who are not familiar with The Mandalorian or, or what the premise is, it is really um, kind of a, a lone Mandalorian on the outer fringes of the galaxy after the events of Return of the Jedi. Uh, so the empire has kind of been thrown down, but there's still, you know, there's still Imperials populated around the various planets kind of on the outer reaches of the galaxy. And, uh, he, he plays a bounty hunter who is just kind of making his way in that outer rim environment. And it's, you know, somewhat lawless and, uh, kind of the strong survive. And it's very much done in the, in the style of a old Western, uh, which really was one of the inspirations for star Wars to begin with. It was, it pulled a lot from old Westerns and, um, you know, the, the old samurai films. So it, it looks to be very much in that style and, and very gritty. Um, but I think they have some amazing stories that they're going to be telling. Yeah. Again, uh, another era that outside, uh, yes, in legends, this, the stories that were told of that era, but in Canon, there really doesn't, isn't much that exists in between that time of, uh, uh, Return of the Jedi and into uh, The Force Awakens. Obviously, that's a big stretch of time. So it'd be great to fill in some more of the gaps. I know there have been some books that are released that are canon that do cover a little bit of that, but it'll be great to see some more depth into it. And uh, I know you saw some of this footage from it. I saw some of it as well. Some They didn't show it to the streaming audience. So if you go and try and stream this panel, you won't get to see it. But there was some that leaked online. And yeah, gritty is really good word for it. It is gritty. It is rough. It's tough. Looks, um, you know, I was just mentioning about how uh, Star George Lucas would say Star Wars was for, built for an 11-year-old boy. Well, this was that 11-year-old boy grown up because this looks like in a very adult version of Star Wars to me, just from the clips that I saw anyway. Yeah, I agree. And I'm looking, I'm really hoping that they start to put out some, uh, some formal trailers for those of us who couldn't attend Celebration this year because it's, it's you know, my wife actually even mentioned it. She said it's... it's it's a little mind blowing that in this day and age that they don't want to put that content out themselves so that you're seeing it the way it's intended to be seen instead of seeing it through these, um, you know, shaky handheld people recording it on their phone in the auditorium and then posting it out on various social media. So, 
Um, now there's a lot to be said about that, but I'm sure that we'll get some kind of footage soon enough. And uh, I think a lot of people are going to be very impressed with what they've done. Mm-hmm. I'm actually a little surprised because I know that like if we've gone to the D23 Expo, which is Disney's uh, sort of Comic-Con Star Wars celebration, essentially. And for some of the panels where they don't want footage out, they will actually have you bag your phone. And sure. I'm a little surprised that there wasn't more of that going on. With I mean, I mean, most of the panels, it seemed like they were fine with. They were showing trailers. They were showing clips for a lot of them. There's no problem. But this one, since they seem to want to keep it just within the people that attended this panel, I'm a little surprised they didn't do a little more security on there. Or maybe they did, and there's just some people that got through that. I don't know. But uh, even John Favreau had to say, oh, I should have told you not to record that. So that means that they, it was probably pretty easy for them to get their to their phones yeah clearly and the other the actually the other uh, story i wanted to bring up out of this particular panel that was near and dear to my heart um for anyone who knows me uh we actually had members of the 501st mm-hmm. as part of our our wedding uh and that organization is a fan organization they make all their own costumes they hold themselves to a very high standard and they do a lot of um a lot of charity work um Generally, if you want them to appear at any of your events, you do have to make a donation to charity in their name. Uh, But they are incredibly professional. They're incredibly nice, very generous with their time. And uh, John Favreau was telling a story. uh, He and Dave Filoni were telling a story about the fact that they had a concept for a scene and it required a lot of stormtroopers in it. And they just did not have the bodies. They did not have the the number of suits of stormtrooper armor that they needed to really carry that off in a believable way. And so what they had done is they put out some feelers to see if any members of the 501st might be willing to come down and help them out. And within a day or two, they had a bunch of people piling in and Favreau actually was, was laughing about it because he didn't realize at first that these, these folks hadn't been told what they were showing up for. Um, And when they did realize what they were there for, um, you know, they just could, he and Dave Filoni just were singing their praises, could not talk enough about how not only was their their armor spot on for stormtroopers and was going to hold up to scrutiny on the screen, uh, but the way they behaved was just, you know, exactly what you'd expect from a stormtrooper. They did not need any direction in terms of, you know, how to behave like a stormtrooper. And, uh, you know, they... Carl Weathers was just gushing at how hard these folks worked, how professional they were, and the fact that they were there for long days and and just really showed everyone else how to do it. It was it was great to see them rewarding some of the biggest fans within the Star Wars universe. I mean, these these people, and like you said, they create their own uniforms. They do these events. They do these events for charities a lot of time. Uh, it's really great to see that to, to them be rewarded in some way, invited in this, not knowing what they're going there for. They probably just thought it was some sort of fan event or something, but to actually be able to see themselves soon on the screen that they're going to be in this show when it comes out uh, beginning uh, in the middle of November. Uh, it's got to be really exciting. I know they had to post a picture that they had the uh, cast there along with a lot of the uh, 501st there around them and they're like well now we can finally uh, print these pictures and send it to them because it wasn't until we released this picture at the at the panel here that we could actually, uh, they could share it with anybody out there. So to let people know that they did this. They had to keep it secret up to this point that they were actually going to be part of a Star Wars show essentially so it's cool yeah and now they're how and now their homemade uh uniforms are, are screen used so i mean yeah 
it's got to be a cool little thing to be able to sit there and talk about when they have their uh, trooping uh, gatherings. It's 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 the dream of every Star Wars fan to be asked to like, oh, you know, we need somebody for this show, this movie, whatever, and to be you know invited to you know, hey, come on over, I got a part for you. And so all these people are living their dreams on that day. It's amazing. Well, clearly they put in the work to deserve it. Yeah, so, no uh, question. You know, definitely kudos to them. And, uh, you know, in addition to the 501st, there is the, the Rebel Legion, which is the rebellion arm of that type of organization, as well as the Mandalorian Mercs. So if you're interested in looking up any of those organizations and uh, potentially uh, working with them to have them appear at an event, I would certainly encourage it. Again, it's all for it's all for uh, charity and it's they're just incredible to work with. So cannot recommend them highly enough. Yeah. Yeah, big Star Wars fans, uh, check them out. They're they're great, and uh, maybe you might be have your own interest in trying to uh, join along with them, build your own uh, outfit to a, whether it be on the light side, the dark side, the Mandalorian side, wherever they because they kind of fall on both sides. They're they kind sure of in do. their own little lane there, but uh, whatever you like, uh, it's 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 fun and it's for a good cause a lot of times. So definitely check yeah. it out. So you know that that was the way we let off our Sunday, which was which was a glorious way to start. But uh, they were followed up later that afternoon by uh, Star Wars, the Clone Wars sneak peek panel, uh, which was hosted. um, I believe that one was hosted by Warwick Davis. Mm -hmm. And uh, they had Dave Filoni and uh, Ashley Eckstein and a a few of the other folks. Um, The gentleman that voices Captain Rex, I'm blanking on his name at the moment. Yeah, me too. But yeah, yeah, he's great. Yeah, yeah, they they were uh, incredible. very very happy to have the opportunity to finish out what they started so many years ago uh, and get the clone wars kind of wrapped up with the the seventh season that many fans had been asking for for quite some time and uh they were very generous with with sharing footage for that particular uh, upcoming season uh i know dave filoni came in with both some concept art for the various characters and then I think he did three clips before they even did the trailer. Right. I think that was, I think you're right. It was at least two, but it might've been three before the trailer. Yeah. Now the other thing that really uh, kind of jumped out at me is every time they would cut to the screen for viewing one of the clips, they'd cut back and you'd see all of the, the actors, the voice actors who play these characters climbing back in their seats because they had, jumped down onto the floor and spun around so they could watch. And it was just testament to a, how much they love star Wars and the fact that they work in this world every, you know, every day, so to, so to speak. And they're just as big a fan as everyone out in the auditorium. And also the fact that they thought that this was gone. I mean, it's gotta be so wonderful for them when they, they they thought that this was not going to be revisited necessarily. Now, some of the characters, some of the voice actors have been able to reprise that role, their roles uh, within Rebels, for example. Uh, But as far as the Clone Wars, there was no guarantees that they were ever going to be able to go back and kind of uh, wrap up the series the way they originally intended to, because it was kind of cut off at a weird point. Uh, so uh, I'm sure, you know, the excitement in uh, Ashley Eckstein actually uh, tells a great story of when she found out about it. If you you should really check out the panel to hear her story about how she found out about how this was coming back. It was really, really fun. Yeah, it was a great story. And I mean, total props to her. I know uh, right at the beginning of the panel, they had some folks that had some VIP seating just off to the side of the stage work davis was over talking with them and kind of chewing the fat with them a little bit and there was a a teenage boy who could not have been more excited he had his phone out he was recording it and 
Warwick asked him, you know, who's your favorite character? And he said, Ahsoka Tano, no problem. (laughs) And uh, Warwick made sure that when Ashley Eckstein came out on uh, stage that that she knew that. And she went right over and gave him a hug and took a selfie with him and uh, clearly just made the kids day. So I know that they do that stuff throughout the day, uh, the entire time there at Celebration. Uh, But it was just it was cool to see how generous they were with their time. Yeah, very heartwarming. And it was just great to see the cast all back together again and the clips and i mean we've talked up the clone wars on your show many times and if you haven't watched the clone wars i know it's gonna be tough right now because it's not on netflix and it's gonna be some time until it reaches disney plus but if you have the opportunity if you can find a way to get it in some other way shape or form you really should because the clone wars is an amazing piece of art uh really does explore the world of star wars or really the world in between the prequels and really adds a lot of depth that the prequels unfortunately lacked a little bit of it really draws you more into those characters i would say uh, especially as far as season seven of the clone wars goes that is really the connective tissue that takes you from the clone wars into a lot of the stuff that happens within star wars rebels and with that piece missing i think it was more difficult to wrap your head uh, around that transition. And I think that having that out there is really going to, going to enhance that for a lot of the fans. I have no question. And like I said, I, I, we, we, you know, it's just an episode ago where we talked to, we were talked glowingly about Ahsoka Tano. We're excited to get back and get more time with her. And uh, the one thing, again, I, that we're going back to the prequels and how Clone Wars fills in the gaps, the prequels, uh, getting to visit with Anakin. Uh, I know if you only know the prequels, you're like, okay, Anakin really brought nothing to the table. It really wasn't much. There was there lacked some depth there. But within the Clone Wars, he has a lot of depth. He has a lot of swing, one way or the other. On you can see why he was tormented so much, and you can. But you can also see why he was thought of as such a hero uh, to the Republic. So uh, being able to revisit that Obi Wan, the whole group, it's just I, I'm just so excited. I couldn't be more excited. And the trailer, oh, I had to watch it three or four times right in a row because it was so good. I'm surprised it was only three or four times because I know I watched it a few more times. I'm just saying right in a row. I'm not saying I didn't watch it more. I just right in a row. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, that really wrapped it up for the festivities on Sunday. Um, The only other thing that I can think of uh, that I saw on Sunday, uh, apart from the panels, was there was a proposal uh, that was (laughs) apparently done in line uh, on Sunday, I'm guessing earlier in the day. Everyone was kind of referring to Sunday as the Battle of Hoth due to some of the weather that was rolling through. Um, So that was pretty cool to see. And there's some clips of that out on YouTube if you're interested in watching that. It's just you couldn't you would not believe how happy everyone was. And there was hundreds of people there when this happened um so it was you know it's just it was really touching and it was a lot of fun to see uh two people in complete costumes popping the question yeah that's always that's always a lot of fun and uh it's always great when you get the support of uh some of the people around you and everything and yeah star wars fans living the high life it's so good that's what star wars celebration is all about it's just it is it's literal celebration of star wars you're going out there and you're with people that love star wars just like you do i mean we get on here and we're talking on this podcast and that's how we're expressing our love of star wars but you know if you go out in the general public yes there's some people like yeah i kind of like star wars yeah it's good oh yeah i'll see the movies or whatever but this is hardcore fans all loving it soaking it all in it's just a wonderful wonderful situation to be in yeah i couldn't have said it better myself 
Uh, in regards to the Monday festivities, the stuff that happened earlier today, uh, unfortunately, work interfered for me. Uh, Tom, I know you were able to watch at least a portion of that Phantom Menace panel uh, that led off the festivities today. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, nothing groundbreaking, really. And I was actually a little surprised that some of the main actors within the, the film itself didn't show up for this. George Lucas wasn't there for this. Uh, you know, and they, you know like, so uh, Liam Neeson wasn't there. Ewan McGregor wasn't there. Natalie Portman. Man, not really surprised with Natalie Portman, but, uh, you know, a little bit surprised that none of them kind of showed up. But uh, there were still some great moments. Uh, my favorite moment, and this happened twice within uh, this convention, uh, Ahmed Best, who, of course, played Jar Jar Binks, if you know, uh, he uh, was on the stage. This is the first time he's come back in a while to be at any of these fan events because of the fact that for a while he had received so much negative criticism uh, for that character that uh, there was a point where he told said he considered suicide uh, and he came back and just ovation standing ovation when he was announced there was so much Star Wars love for him out there and it was just really really wonderful to see and it happened twice there was one time when he was on the, the Star Wars uh, show set which was there's in, right in the middle of the convention floor they kind of they would bring out some of these uh, stars out there and they the day before they brought him out and interviewed there and he got a great applause there and then again for this panel great applause it was just just really really good to see star wars fans being so supportive yeah and i know the same thing happened in that episode nine panel for kelly marie tran mm -hmm. to the point where where she was saying she was gonna cry um I know that you and I have talked about this and it's been mentioned earlier on this show uh, in earlier episodes, but I think the, the takeaway from this is that, uh, you know, no matter what your feelings are about the character on the screen, it's really important to remember that, you know, these actors are just out there doing a job and, you know, to, to steal a phrase from Tom, you know, it's a job that any of us would do mm -hmm. in a heartbeat uh, were it offered to us. So I think we just have to be careful as fans to not, you know, not be too diff not too hard on those folks. Uh, they're do out there. They're doing their job. They're taking the direction of whoever is directing that particular scene, and uh, delivering the performance that's being asked for from them. So, uh, you know, it's it's great to see these folks come out and get recognition and and kind of feel like they do have the support of the Star Wars fan community and it's not just the folks that are out there trolling them uh, and really tearing them down. Yeah, exactly. And that's uh, definitely the way you need to look at it. It's uh, and it's good, again, to see that there is some positivity out there. I mean, Star Wars has gotten a knock for some of the fans' negativity recently. Uh, it's great to see the positivity coming out in uh, this celebration. Uh, some other things that I got out of that panel is uh, they had uh, Ian McDermott, who, of course, plays Palpatine, Darth Sidious, and... Uh, uh, they had Ray Park come out together as, uh, of course, uh, Darth Maul. And it was great to see those two together again. Uh, you know, uh, Ray Park was just so thrilled to be involved with all of this. He's so excited to be part of the Star Wars universe, so excited to play Darth Maul. Even to this day, he still gets chances to play Darth Maul. Uh, and uh, he was mentioning the fact that, you know, it's, it, one of his funny jokes was like, you know, it's... In fact, that you keep calling me back to play Darth Maul, it keeps me away from like that extra bag of uh, Oreos and <laughs> tea or whatever. It's like, no, I got to go work out. So I'll be in shape to play Darth Maul again. So just really exciting. And Ian McDermott always steals any scene he's in. He's just so good. He's 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 incredible as an actor. And uh, there's no reason, you know, even though he made jokes about like you're supposed to hate Palpatine, the reason people like Palpatine is because he his portrayal of it is so good. 
Yeah, absolutely excellent. And it, the the comment you made about Ray Park uh, dug something up in my brain. Uh, I do recall that when we were watching the Clone Wars panel earlier that day, one of the things that they had revealed is that uh, Darth Maul does take uh, play a particular role in that uh, season seven for the Clone Wars. And one of the cool things that they were able to do was to actually have Ray Park come in and give the performance of Darth Maul uh, for the lightsaber battles that he's involved in. Uh, they were able to mo cap him mm-hmm. or motion capture him uh for those particular scenes and you know the, it's just cool to see that figure on screen moving just like you remember them all moving from the battles in the phantom menace yeah one more thing that made me excited for the, the clone wars uh I'm, yeah that's so cool and that was a that's a great idea for them to do that i, I really think I, n- I never imagined that they would uh approach it in that way but when i heard that it really made me that much more excited for it and, you know, the the other thing that we'll mention from today is that, uh, and Tom actually alerted me that this was going on. I was able to jump on and watch it myself, but they did a really nice montage at the uh, end of Star Wars Celebration when they were kind of closed, doing the closing ceremonies of everything that happened over the course of that five-day uh, Star Wars Celebration Chicago. I would encourage anyone to go out. Uh, you should be able to find that again out on YouTube. And uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, it just does a great job of capturing the spirit of that entire event yeah between uh of course they give you footage from various different panels some of the stuff that happened there some of the pieces of some of the trailers and video clips that they showed but also a lot of uh, interviews of fans and what draws them there and why they're having so much fun and what their favorite parts were it, you're right it just captured the event really well within a little three four minute piece completely agree all right so i think that'll wrap it up for us for the star wars celebration events that took place uh the other item that we want to dive into and i don't want to spend a ton of time on it it was a fairly short trailer uh but there were some things that we wanted to kind of walk through and you know see if we could pick any additional details out of the footage in that trailer uh so we'll just kind of walk through that scene by scene and if there's anything that jumps out at you tom just feel free to shout it out oh yeah Um, i'll i'll be doing the same so uh the episode nine trailer uh kind of opens on a black screen and you hear some pretty harsh breathing that's clearly coming from ray and when that finally does uh when the picture finally does come up she is standing on a desert planet uh, and an undis- undisclosed desert planet uh, and is just kind of basically trying to calm herself. So she gets her breathing under control and adopts this very serene look. I know there's been some conjecture about what planet she's on. Um, I, I've, been, I've been sitting there trying to pick it apart myself. Is it Jakku? Is it, you know, is it Jetta? <laughs> you know, is it Tatooine? Yep. Every time I look at it, I see something different when I look at that planet. Yeah, I totally agree. And and the three planets that you just named, you know, obviously could be a, a planet that we have not, uh, of course, been introduced to yet. But um, I know that Jetta had come up because uh, this was actually filmed in Jordan, and that's where they had filmed the Jetta scenes for Rogue One. Uh, but the thing that kind of works against it being Jetta in my mind is that Jetta had a colder climate even though it was a desert planet um you know you commonly see everyone walking around in their in their jackets cassian and, mm-hmm. and uh pretty much anyone you saw in rogue one that was on on jetta was walking around in warmer clothing and ray is wearing kind of a, a white version of her scavenger outfit um in this particular scene so it does speak to me to be a, a warmer planet um 
And really in that regard, it could be Jakku. It could be Tatooine. I'm leaning more toward Tatooine just because of the rocky outcroppings in the background, which is more familiar with what we saw in episode four. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I I guess really, you know, the final determination on that's going to be the film and and we'll see what they come out with. I mean, the only thing that made me, I agree with you on uh, the clothing, the attire, uh, but the only thing that made me think possibly Jetta is when you look at the stone outcroppings back there, uh, it does, you you can see, and of course you can see whatever you want in what you look at out there, but there do look like their faces out there. And if you remember uh, Jetta, they were a lot of the toppled giant statues of, of former Jedi. Uh, That some of it kind of looked like that could be the case. Now, was filmed in the same uh, spot. Jetta was filmed in Jordan. This was filmed in Jordan as well. Uh, so, you know, take it for what you want. I mean, they're going to use wherever they can for a desert scene, but uh, that's the only reason why I kind of think maybe it is Jetta. You know, maybe. Yep, and and it certainly could be. It's uh, it's just going to be something where we're going to have to find out when the film comes yep. out, unless they give us some additional trailers that give us some information that'll let us narrow it's it down. Still fun a bit to more. speculate about, just the same. It's always fun mm-hmm. to speculate. So uh, as Ray is standing here, kind of looking into the distance, uh, she gets her breathing under control, and you can see the hilt of a lightsaber attached to the belt at her waist, um, and. It cuts to a view kind of from her perspective, looking across, um, you know, the sandy. They're not really dunes. It's really more of a, a flat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can hear a TIE fighter uh, bearing down her and you can kind of see it in the distance. Uh, so she ends up pulling the weapon off her belt. And it looks pretty clear to me that this is Luke's lightsaber uh, that's clearly been rebuilt in some way. Right. Um, it, to me, it actually looks shorter uh, than than his original lightsaber, which would make sense. To it. It's got yeah. yeah. So it, yep. it looks like it is in some way way uh, that lightsaber uh, reconstructed. Yep. And actually, if you look at the if you look at the still sh- <clears throat> sorry if you look at the still shot of it, you can actually see a black band uh, right about where you would have seen the the two broken halves rejoined. So uh, it definitely does look like it was somehow reforged. Um, but Ray pulls that off her belt and uh, ignites it as we get a better shot of the TIE fighter that's bearing down on her, which um, I know a lot of people have been referring to it as Kylo Ren's TIE silencer, and it's actually not. Um, the cockpit of his TIE silencer was kind of uh, more rectangular. Mm-hmm. And the cockpit on this particular tie, it looks a lot more like a tie interceptor. It's got that ball cockpit that mm-hmm. you would see in, in a classic tie fighter with a lot of red accents on it, which is not something that we've seen before, but um, would kind of fit with the whole concept of the Red Fury squadron that's going to be in Galaxy's Edge. Right. Um, Makes sense. So I think it'll be interesting to see uh, the... The way that this footage is cut together, um, you see some black gloves uh, wrapped around the control mechanisms and kind of pushing forward to accelerate toward Ray. Um, and they definitely look reminiscent of what you'd seen with Kylo Ren's outfit, but it makes me wonder if they're not trying to mislead us here a little bit because yeah. it's certainly not kylo ren's ship well there when i when i see that scene there's my mind goes in so many different ways one is this a fight she's trying to escape from something that's happening out there on the planet two is this some sort of training situation because it almost looks like that she's been out there working out and she's prepared for this what's about to happen in training another thing is it's something that she's joining forces with somebody and she's it almost looks like she's leaping onto the TIE fighter itself. And are they 
you know, going to off somewhere really quickly and they need to get there quick at, at some speed. Uh, I could believe any one of those things. Uh, just yeah. a really interesting scene to dissect for sure. Yeah. And I, you know, there's been some conjecture that potentially the Knights of Ren, who we saw a little bit in uh, The Force Awakens, uh, may be coming back in this particular film. And I think it's also possible that it could be one of the Knights of Ren mm-hmm. uh, in that particular ship if it is someone coming after her, per se. Um so again, we're gonna we're gonna have to wait and see what additional footage we get. And uh, Tom and I have already talked about this, but it should be put out there that uh, it's been pretty common in the past, and, and especially in these early teaser trailers, that there could be footage in here that we never actually see in the finished film. So uh, obviously, take all that with a grain of salt. Yeah, always with the, these uh, teaser trailers, or trailers in general, uh, they're trying to uh, shape what you see, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to end up in the film when it's all said and done, for sure. Yeah. And uh, so really the way that the trailer proceeds from that point is as the tie uh, interceptor, I'm going to I'm going to call it that, even though it does have um, the solar panels definitely look a lot more like uh, the silencer uh, as that's bearing down on Ray. She ignites the lightsaber, kind of turns her back to it, looks over her shoulder. And when she deems the time is correct, she starts sprinting off across the sand. Um, and just as the the tie is approaching her location. She leaps up in the air and does this incredible uh, athletic backflip um, again. And I hear what you're saying where it, it looks like she may be trying to jump on it. I see one of two things I see because she has the lightsaber kind of hanging down in front of the cockpit. It's almost like she's trying to put the lightsaber right through the, the center of the cockpit itself. Um, but without really seeing the rest of the, the scene it's it's impossible to say whether she's actually trying to leap up on top of it right again it, it's 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 an interesting scene it, it really could be seen in different if you, every time you look at it it could look a little differently to you like i've seen it a couple times where i thought it's almost like it was some sort of training procedure that was going on out there you know that she's been working out she's trying to you know take that next step within her jedi skills you know other times obviously it looks like she's fighting this thing you know i i, I could see it so many different ways i'm i'm excited to find out what that scene ends up being yeah i completely agree um and I think that, again, it's going to I can also see it potentially being a training exercise, especially it would explain, you know, the, the heavy breathing at the beginning, mm-hmm. like she's just just completed doing this once and she's preparing to do it again. Um, but time will tell. Yeah. So uh, during this entire process, you do get a voiceover from uh, Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker talking about how, um, you know, she's learned everything that they can teach her uh, and that a thousand generations of Jedi live within her. Now Uh, the thought is generally that this is referring to the fact that she has had, and JJ Abrams did confirm that this does not pick up right after the last Jedi. Some time has taken place. Um, And she has had time to read some, if not all of the, the books that she had saved from Octo uh, in the, the force tree that Luke um, had stored them in. So clearly her Jedi training has proceeded um, and her mastery of the force has proceeded. Uh, and, and this is now being handed to her as her fight. Yeah, to me, that voiceover sounds, uh, I, I want to say it's probably forced 
ghost Luke. Uh, that would be my best guess on it. Uh, it also is interesting that it's, you know, it's sending her on her way. And he says, you know, we have no more to teach you or something along. I'm paraphrasing, but along those lines, right. uh, it makes me wonder, are there other force ghosts with him? Along uh, Yoda, uh, Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon, who knows, you know, Anakin, who knows? Are there other force ghosts that are there uh, reaching out to Ray and are they reaching out to Ray? Now we see Ray, so we assume that, but maybe it's to somebody else. We don't know that for sure. We just make the assumption because Ray is there all by herself and this is being spoken to her at that moment. Yeah, and I mean, in this day and age where there's so much attention given to the trailers and they're uh, looked at in such minute detail, a lot of the times the directors will kind of mess with people. They will uh, overlay scenes with dialogue that is not intended to be with that scene and, mm-hmm. and mislead fans that way. So certainly some of that could be going on here. Um, the next scene uh, that it cuts to in the trailer after a brief line of dialogue that's a brief line of text that says, you know, every every generation has a legend, which ironically was the same way they started uh, the Phantom Menace trailer. Um, it cuts to a, a ship, a dual engine ship kind of cutting uh, into the atmosphere and heading down toward what appears to be some sort of uh, settlement. Um, it's surrounded by rocky outcroppings and there's a lot of what looks like, uh, smoke or fog. Um, some people think it may be snow. Uh, but this particular scene first, the location of it looks very similar to what we saw in Edu, Mm -hmm. uh, in Rogue One. So I'm not saying that that's where they're at, but it, it has that very similar look. It's very rocky. It's very, um, foggy there's kind of you know a bright light shining down but it's really diffused just the um, approach to it looked like the approach they took when they were trying to uh fly into edu it looked very yeah. similar in many ways yeah. and that's that's exactly what jumped out at me when i first saw this and interestingly enough and i had just noticed this uh re-watching this today but the ship that is uh that's being followed in in this particular shot if you uh look at the kind of the style of the back of that ship and compare it to the ship that had dropped Ray off on Jakku. Um, while the ship on Jakku had a, a kind of a thicker profile, uh, top to bottom, and this ship is a little bit more thin, there are some very similar stylings to them. They both have kind of uh, fins that stick out to the side near the two engines in the rear, and they both have this uh, cylindrical object kind of down the spine of the ship. So this looks like it could be um, related to that ship that dropped her off on Jakku. And, and this may be in some way tied to uh, potentially her origin. Right. We may find out, uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of speculation. Was Kylo Ren lying? Was he telling the truth in The Last Jedi when they they, they basically just said that her parents, uh, Ray's parents were drunkards, you know, that just traded her off, you know, um, we'll see. Uh, it would be kind of interesting, but I, I didn't notice that before until you pointed that out to me. I think that's a, a really interesting take on uh, that ship for sure. Yeah. I'll be interested to see what that location is. Uh, you know, the other thing, and we'll get into it a little bit more with some of the upcoming scenes, but it almost feels like, um, and before I say this, I should preface it with J.J. Abrams mentioned that this is not going to be a film where all the cast is going to be split up going on separate missions. They're going to be working together Mm -hmm. uh, throughout the majority of this movie. And it kind of looks to me like um, they may be trying to gather some objects uh, 
you know, possibly related to uh, either things that she needs to complete, whatever her quest is in this film, or uh, to, you know, kind of expand her knowledge of the Force and, ha- and how to go about defeating Kylo Ren. And it, it's alluded to that there's a greater evil mm-hmm. um, behind even Kylo, and I, I think we'll get into that a little bit later as well. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if these locations are, are specifically tied to Jedi relics or, um, you know, some sort of force relic that she needs to collect. Yeah. I heard someone mentioning, I think I saw it on Twitter somewhere that they're like, man, are they gathering Horcruxes? Uh, you know, <laughs> if you know the Harry Potter universe, you might know, know where that's a reference to. Absolutely. So from this, from this particular shot of the, the ship approaching this kind of three tiered, uh, city in this rocky area, it cuts to a scene with Kylo Ren and his first order stormtroopers, uh, going through the woods, uh, on some undisclosed planet. Um, there's uh, the, it's, it's very, uh, kind of overcast and there's a reddish hue to everything in the background. Um, and you've got Kylo taking the cross cross guard of his uh you know lightsaber and driving that into the abdomen of a guy and kind of slamming him to the ground uh, so it's a very physical scene um there's not really a lot of detail about who they're fighting but they're clearly uh you know overrunning a population of some some settlement or some planet you know interesting uh, about that is i ran that scene back a few times and i've seen some stopped photos of it as well and if you look at that person that he body slams and you don't really get this clear look at him at all even in any photo i've been able to that stop down to it but there's if you've seen some of the uh the artwork for the knights of ren um mm-hmm. some of their uh their headgear stylings uh the headgear styling looks very similar to that so it draws in question is is uh kylo rebelling against the knights of ren are they rebelling against him or is this you know of course again i'm just speculating i there's no clear look at it we don't know but just kind of an interesting thought putting that scene the- right there yeah, I agree. The thing that jumped out to me when I saw him the first time, and I mean, it was just a brief glimpse, but it immediately evoked um, a memory of Ray's Force Vision when she touched Anakin's saber uh, that became Luke's saber in Maz's uh, cantina or castle on uh, T- uh, Takadana. Mm-hmm. So um, if you go back and rewatch that series, I think you'll see some similarities, but I don't want to draw too many conclusions at this point but i think you may be you may be correct that this could have um you know this could could be some infighting and if i'm remembering correctly it's specifically a character that kylo had killed in that force vision uh that looked very similar to this so yeah so interesting stuff for sure Yep. Um, from there, we go to a scene of Kylo's mask that he had shattered in The Last Jedi and had left within the turbo lift. Um, clearly, there's been some very thoughtful janitor that came through, uh, maybe <laughs> maybe a friend of Finn's, who knows, uh, that had come along and swept up those pieces. And this is being repaired. They're kind of, um, you know, soldering it back together and using some sort of a like a crimson... material (laughs) material to reconnect all the pieces and the other thing about this is the first thing that jumped out at me when i saw this is that it looked like furry arms um Mm. you know the thought originally was that it was kylo fixing his helmet um and then people were noticing that the arms looked furry but when i look at the photo it still looks like a human hand um so i'm 
wondering if they're in a cold climate and, you know, it's just someone wearing a, a Wookiee fur jacket or something like that. Um, Interesting. But I, yeah, I really can't, I, I can't determine if it's just, uh, you know, someone in uh, a creature costume that left the hands clear so they could work, or if this is actually just someone um, dressed in something to keep them warm and it actually is a human of, of some unknown specification. Right. If they were on some sort of snowy planet or something, it would totally make sense that, you know, we're recreating this thing and then the people are in warmer garb or yes, it could be some sort of creature outfit. Who knows? Right. All right. So from there, uh, we get a cut to, uh, see Finn and Poe. And this, this is a scene where they're, uh, you've got Poe standing on a rocky outcrop in the back and you've got Finn standing in the foreground. Finn is holding on to what appears to be Ray's staff right. from, uh, Force Awakens. Uh, they both got their new, uh, costumes on. They definitely look like they're wearing some sort of, you know, desert warrior garb that would blend into the backdrops. And this, is definitely evocative of this being on the same planet that we see Ray on earlier in the trailer. That's what it looks like to me. I, that's what I would expect. There's a few scenes that, I, to me, uh, shout that they're within the same planet at times. Yeah. Yeah. And it cuts from there to a shot of BB-8 and this new droid Dio. Um, it looks like they're kind of between a couple of characters, and BB-8's got his his uh, head, for lack of a better term, tilted, looking at something. Um, and really, I mean, the only thing about this particular scene is that it's the first chance you get to see this new droid Dio. Right. And they just kind of get this, yeah, the quizzical look of a, like a dog. Huh? <laughs> What's going on? Huh? What's going on here? Kind of I'm waiting for someone to get a really high def picture of BB-8's uh, head and zoom in on that. Uh, curved uh, eye, visual yeah. lens, and try to see the the uh, reflection of what's I'm going on. I'm surprised that hasn't happened already. Uh, you would think, right? Yeah. Uh, and then on top of that, you know, kind of that throwback to everyone's good buddy BB-8, uh, it goes right to a shot of the Millennium Falcon uh, whistling through hyperspace. You got Lando Calrissian sitting in the pilot seat uh, beside Chewbacca again, giving one of his old Lando, you know, shouts of triumph. Um, as hyperspace kind of flares back to the star lines and, and back to real space. And uh, one thing that totally jumped out at me on this one is that uh, the Millennium Falcon that we'd seen in the previous uh, films had the rectangular uh, sensor dish. Mm -hmm. And this one has a circular sensor dish. So uh, it was, I was trying to wrap my head around what happened there. I wasn't aware that there would have been any damage to the falcon sensor dish or any reason to replace that but um it definitely looks like they've gone back to that old circular sensor dish yeah i'm trying to i i can't think of it either i mean i know that it happened in return of the jedi and that's why they changed it to the rectangular one which totally made sense because it got knocked off when they were in the uh the trench the tunnel run whatever it was to get to the core of the, the death star they knocked off the array up there but uh yeah i don't recall necessarily i mean i have to I have to watch again to see if uh, i notice any damage to the, the the Millennium Falcon, or maybe that's something that happens in the film or in uh, Smuggler's Run. <laughs> no, that that could totally be the scenario. Hondo is clearly, uh, and and those of us working for him have caused additional damage to the sensor dish, and they had to go back with a, a low cost option yep. since they don't have the funding of the New Republic. No anymore. question. <laughs> so uh, from that scene, we cut back to a scene back on the desert planet, it appears, and you've got uh, what kind of looks a lot like um, uh, one of the skiffs that 
uh, you saw Luke and, and Han and Chewie on when they were going to get dropped into the Sarlacc. It's not quite as built up as that, but uh, some sort of a skiff escaping through the desert and behind it you get this uh, giant explosion of sand and through that comes uh, well to the side of it comes a stormtrooper on what appears to be a speeder bike and then through the actual plume of sand itself you get two stormtroopers with jetpacks on uh, which is a something similar to what we've seen in uh, Battlefront 2, which is another Star Wars video game. It's They're called Jump Troopers, um, and it looks like uh, the First Order has something similar to that in this particular scene. Yeah, even going back to Rebels, they made appear, uh, appearances in Rebels, some of those. Yeah. Uh, so they, they do exist out there, but uh, I think, it's, yeah, I think believe this is one of the first times we've seen them really a lot in the films. Yeah. And from that, we flip over to a scene with uh, Poe and Finn and C-3PO on board that skiff we saw fleeing and they're kind of heads down, holding on for dear life, um, just basically trying to escape the pursuit that that is behind them uh, and trying to wipe them out. Right. It looks like a a harrowing escape from whatever they were trying to get or uh, get to. It's it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Not much to take out of that or, you know... uh, theory craft about per se but um the next scene is actually really interesting because uh the next scene that it flips to is an a-wing uh which is something similar to what you've seen in return of the jedi uh kind of spinning out of control it's got a damaged engine and in the background is a star destroyer and what's interesting about that is that um I've kind of slowed this down and looked at it a little bit. This is not a first order star destroyer. The superstructure where the bridge would be is too tall. It looks a lot like an old victory class star destroyer, like the star destroyers you would have seen in um, episode four or five or six um, with the original trilogy. It's got that taller superstructure with the, um, with the shield projectors up on top of it. So it kind of makes me wonder if uh, the resistance has kind of gotten some old um, Imperial tech uh, to, to help them in fighting the, the first order. Possibly. Or is this another branch of something evil altogether that has its own fleet that's been kind of off in the side waiting to make its emergence? I don't, I don't know who you're talking no, about. I don't know. I don't know. Where could that be from? Yes, sir. Uh, And then we cut to a shot of uh, two female hands that are caressing a a medal that is essentially what was awarded to Luke and Han and apparently Chewbacca uh, (laughs) after the Battle of Yavin. Yeah, I I pretty... I think that was pretty clearly supposed to be uh, uh, General Leia uh, Morgana. If I don't know for sure, but that would be my guess. Uh, if anything, just kind of remembering the the past and um, you know that one great time when they were all together and things were glorious. And now you know so many are gone. Yeah, um, and that would make sense considering that the very next shot is uh, Leia holding on to um, Daisy Ridley's character Ray, um, and then they kind of reverse it. When they first show the shot, you can you're looking at Leia's face and Ray's back is mm-hmm. to you, but then they flip it around and you see Ray's face and there's a tear sliding down her cheek. So 
whether this is a situation where, you know, Leia is sacrificing herself for the group or, you know, there's been some revelation. Um, we're just going to have to wait and see. What I did really think was cool about this is that J.J. Uh, Abrams had discussed in that panel that they had never even considered doing uh, any kind of CGI work with Leia. They were actually able to cobble together and write scenes around um, unused sections of her performance from Force Awakens. So what you see in this film is going to be her uh, performance and and nothing artificial. Right. Uh, I, I thought that was fascinating as well. They didn't know how originally they were going to approach it, but they realized they had enough footage, uh, mostly from The Force Awakens, is what J.J. said. I'm sure they also were able to cobble up some from The Last Jedi as well and rode around it. And I, I think that's fascinating and an interesting way to approach it. Now, we don't know how much she'll be in this film because of that, but uh, it's good that they're going to honor her in that way. Yeah. Um, so from there, the next shot that we see is a shot uh, facing all of the the heroes, the primary heroes in the story. So you've got Day, uh, Daisy Ridley's Ray, you've got uh, Finn, you've got Poe, you've got C-3PO, BB-8 and Dio and Chewbacca. And they're in this um, kind of grassy uh, slope leading down to something we don't we don't know what yet mm-hmm. uh but then the view flips and you see what they're looking at and out across this ocean you see this enormous chunk of a death star um with the focusing dish uh, a portion of the focusing dish and then a bunch of the rest of the wreckage um and Ray actually has uh, uh, something white in her hand, and I have been trying my hardest to determine what that is. Uh, the only thing I will say about this is I know that there was some concept art from Force Awakens that they ended up going a different direction with, but it was going to have Ray kind of um, scuba diving around some ruins of a Death Star and scavenging some things uh you know, related to potentially her Jedi heritage. And it looks like maybe they could be doing something similar here. Right. Uh, I, I really don't know how to approach it. I mean, I think the shot of them originally coming down, I think it was just to, to, to show again that they are getting them all. The group is going to be back together for this film. Uh, but uh, there's so many questions coming out of that shot that I just, I, I, I can't even approach them to be honest with you. you know? Yeah, I, I think we're going to need more context to really be able to, to dive too far into that. Um, interestingly enough, during this period of the trailer, Luke uh, can be heard in the background saying, we will always be with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and no one's ever really dead. And while he's saying that the shot cuts to black and you hear the evil cackle of what can only be Emperor Palpatine um, in the background. So, that's how we're left. Uh, you get the you know the Star Wars uh, title card, and then Star Wars separates, and we get the the actual title of the Rise of Skywalker, uh, and that is pretty much a wrap for the for the trailer. Which even the title alone can be so many permutations of what that means. You know, who is that? Who is that uh, talking about? Is it talking about one person? Is it talking about a group of people? What is it? It's just such a fascinating. I, I love how now we'll just go through months of speculation of what does even the, does the title mean? It's so good. Yeah, I mean, I I know that there is some conjecture about is that going to be a replacement title as opposed to Jedi Ray's going to start a different, um, you know, theology mm-hmm. or that, you yeah. know, a group of Force users. But to me, I mean, it it seems like it would be the rise of the Skywalker if they right. were going to to go that route. So I I don't really think that's for me. That's not what what they're saying. Um, but you know, it could easily. Uh, 
it could be in reference to the legend of Luke Skywalker or the Skywalker family. Um, it could be a specific individual. You could have Kylo uh, being redeemed and come into the light. It could be Ray is somehow tied to the Skywalker lineage, um, or it could be something else completely different. So time will tell. Time will um, tell. I don't think we have enough at this point to make any final decisions, but it is fun to talk about. Yeah. Always fun to talk about. And I'm sure we'll be speculating it and, on and off your show, we'll be discussing what we see as we go forward for this, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, Tom, thank you so much for joining us this week. Um, and I appreciate all of the uh, the shout outs you've given to us on your podcast. Tom, uh, again, is the co-host of the Hyperion Adventures podcast, which deals with uh a lot of things Disney related, not the least of which is Star Wars. Uh, so please give him a listen. They have a great podcast and especially for folks that are looking to go to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, um, either at Disneyland or Walt Disney World. They've just done a couple of great episodes uh, laying out the differences between those two parks. So please tune in and check them out. Tom, do you have any info you want to give for how they can find you? Yeah, I just yeah, you can subscribe to us or you can find us on on most of the places you normally get your podcasts. We're on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Uh, if you want to look us up socially, we're on Twitter at Hyperion Podcast, uh, Facebook and Instagram at Hyperion Adventures Podcast, and we also have our own web website, uh, HyperionAdventuresPodcast.com. Terrific. And for anyone who has uh, listened and enjoyed this podcast, please uh, subscribe, give us a review if you'd be so kind. Um, you know, definitely word of mouth is going to help grow our podcast. So if you have a friend that is interested in Star Wars uh, or anyone you know that that would be interested in this content, uh, please give us a shout out with them. Uh, we can be reached at jtapodcast at gmail.com and on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest at JTA Podcast. Thank you guys for listening. We look forward to talking to you next week and may the force be with you.